Peter is um, Peter's amazing, you know, from Bethsaida up there at the top of the little Sea of Galilee, you know, that little pear-shaped sea up there, up at the top, Bethsaida. Peter is from that little town up there. And um, cool things happened there. Jesus healed a blind guy there uh, one day after Peter became a, a follower of Jesus. And uh, Bethsaida is a cool little town, and um, Peter is from there, and he's uh, an amazing man. And Peter, in his writing in 1 Peter here, has been encouraging us through his teaching and, his, um, and the word uh, that the Holy Spirit spoke through him uh, about several things, that we are blessed, right? <laughs> there it is right there, that we are so blessed. Did you, did you say that because you saw that? Okay, cool, that's awesome. I was going to say, if you said that before that was up there, this is like, oh. It's one of those moments. One of those like angelic moments. That's cool. But Peter and his teaching, we are blessed. And let me uh, just remind you of a few things he said, and we're going to get into this piece of uh, passage here. And, um, you know, let me, be, let me just kind of apologize, but then I'll also just say, hey, this. Um, so this the, a sermon is, you know, if you've ever worked on a sermon and you start, I, I start early in the week. And so you know what that means. It's like putting uh, yeast in dough and setting it on the counter. Right, by the end of the week, this thing is huge. Right, it's big. So, so um, we're, we're probably not going to get through all this today, but, but we're going to, because this passage is so good and what he has to say to us is so important, and the, the, the key thought that I'm going to share with you is, like, huge. Like, it's big. I hope you're, like, on your toes, edge of your seat, ready to go, because what he says to us today, what he said to us in the, in the past few weeks is so important, but this word that he has for us today is, is this is it. This is, like, critical for you and me, but he's been talking about this like new birth, this living hope, this call to be holy, right? That he call, God calls us to be like him. Isn't that cool? That we, we get to live on the earth in the flesh, in this body, but we get to strive with the power of the Holy Spirit in us to live like God, to be holy because he's holy, like to represent God, to strive to be like God in this world. How awesome is that? That we have this original living stone, Jesus, that we are, our eyes are on him and we're trying to be like him or trying to follow him, right? We're trying to be like little living stones as we keep our eyes on the original living stone. And how cool is that in this book? He calls us to do good. He calls us guys to man up, <laughs> right? He tells us men, man up, time to man up, right? That's what we need to do. And he calls women in this book to preach your silent sermon, to let the power of God come through your life. As you just live it out. And you know, and we all need to do that, right? The world doesn't want to know what you have to say. They don't care what we have to say. We've lost, we've lost the effectiveness. What they do care about is how you live. You, you preach your sermon to the world by, by your actions, not by what you say. So be careful what you do. And that's Peter. He keeps pounding this idea that, that God calls us to live it so the world can see it. Because they don't want to hear about it. Right, they don't want to hear about it. And last week we talked about like squeezing the light out of the dark because we live in such a dark world. But this passage is crazy. It's in chapter 4, I hope you're there, chapter 4. First 11 verses, and here's Peter's word for us. Ready, here it is. The end of all things is near. Check this out. The end is near. Say that with me. The end is near. Is near. Now, you know, we say that, you know, and we think that, and, and, and Peter says that to us, and we're going to read about what he has to say to us in this. 
And there's a lot that goes on with this, this, the end is near, because, you know, 2,000 years ago, this was written, the end is near, and here we are 2,000 years later, and we're going, okay, and, and it's easy for us to lose the intensity of the fact that the end is near, because we think, no, it's not really. We got time, right? We got time. He said the end is near, but it's really a little ways away. And so we think in our minds and we are tricked into thinking that we've got all kinds of time to do what we want to do and, to, and we get sucked into the things of this world. But, but Peter's word, God's word to us today is this, the end is near. And it is nearer today than it has ever been. We have no idea how soon it will be before we, the end of time comes, when Jesus returns. We really don't know. It could happen any day. It could happen any minute. It could happen before I finish this sermon. It can happen anytime. God is ready. He's waiting on us, right, to, to share the gospel with the world. But the end is near. Let's read this passage. Great passage. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude, because those who have suffered in their bodies are done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless and wild living. And they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If you speak, you should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If you serve, you should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Amen. Man, what a powerful passage, isn't it? I mean, there's so much there. It's so good. But the point is, the end is near. The end is near. Now, we've heard this a lot, right? I mean, we live in a world where we hear this stuff. The end is near. Check out this slide that I got going here for you. Okay, so maybe you can see some of those things, right? Some of you might be able to remember some of these things. The end is near. We hear that. And maybe that's what's made us somewhat uh, like numb to it. Yeah, 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 blah, 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 right? It's easy to get that kind of attitude. Yeah, you said the end is near, but really it's not. And then on top of that, we have well-meaning people making it worse, right? Predicting. 77 reasons why Jesus is going to come back in 1977. Well, here we are, right? Polls have been conducted across, you know, all the countries. And, and people, the, the, the polls that they found back in 2012, so it's gotten a lot worse, tw out of 20 countries, they found over 14% of people believe that the world would end in their lifetime. 
This is in 2012. So, uh, and then in, in America, that's 22% uh, in America. In the UK, in 2015, 23% of the general public believed that the apocalypse was likely to occur in their lifetime compared to 10% of experts from the Global Challenge Foundation. The general public believe the likeliest cause would be nuclear war, mm -hmm. while experts thought it would be artificial intelligence. 3% mm. of, of Brits thought that the end would be caused by the last judgment compared to 16% of Americans. Between 1% and 3% of people from both countries thought the apocalypse would be caused by zombies or alien invasion. You know, zombies are taking over, you know, the airwaves. That's right, <laughs> walking dead. <laughs> hundreds, hundreds, hundreds. There have been hundreds of attempts of people predicting the end. Hundreds over the years. Hundreds of people uh, predicting the second coming, the apocalypse, or the final destruction of the world. Names like this, Harold Camping, Jerry Falwell, Sun Moon Moon, Gene Dixon, Pat Robertson, John Hagee, and hundreds of others who have predicted what they thought would be the end of time. In the year 2000, do you remember this? The year 2000, they thought it would be the end, right? Y2K. <laughs> and numerologists, check this out. You've got to do this with me. Numerologists, get your cell phone out. Yeah, get your cell phone out. We can do this here for a minute. Get your cell phone out and turn it to um, your calculator. Bring up your calculator. I'll do it for you if you don't have it. So bring up your calculator. Numerologists said the, the, the world would end in the year 2000 for this reason. Here we go. 2000. Divided by 3 equals... Wow, that, that's a sure tell sign that that's what's going to happen. People just, people, and people are serious about this stuff. I mean, they're, they're, this is no joke to them. The Mayan calendar predicted it would end in 2012. A guy named Lloyd Cunningdale from Salt Lake City said it would end in 2016. Some have predicted dates, uh, the next big coming date in 2034, in the year 2034. It's no joke to these people. They, they really believe. And what's, what's really mad about it is uh, how somebody can predict the end of time and it not happen and still have followers. I mean, some of these guys have predicted it a number of times and they've been wrong every time. Jesus said this. Check it out. No one knows, right? No one knows the day or the hour. Not the angels, not even the son, but only the father. But it will come. So even though others have made their attempts and took their shots at when they thought it might end, doesn't discard the fact that it will end. In fact, I don't care what other people say. Peter, the Holy Spirit through Peter says to us in verse 7, the end of all things is near, which is a sure indication that the end will come. The end will come. The same God who said that Jesus would come and sent Jesus and he came also said the end will come. Not the beginning of something different. Not like a change of life or a transformation of what we know, but the end. He says the end of all things. And then he gives us some things to think about. And that's what Peter gets into in regard to the fact that the end is near. 
So if the end is near, how then should we live, right? That's the question. How do we live as believers in Christ knowing that the end is near? That it could come today or tomorrow or the next day or next year. It could come in our lifetime or our kids' lifetime or our grandkids' lifetime. We don't know. But we know it will come, amen? It's coming. So Peter says a few things to us, and, and these things are so good for us. Okay, look what he says here in, in this passage. He says, the first thing he says, uh, because verse 7 says the end is near, he says, arm yourselves with Christ's attitude. Okay, because the end is near, the number one thing that we should do as believers is arm ourselves with the attitude of Jesus. Okay, think about that, right? He's talking about verses 1 to 6. He's talking about having the same mind as Jesus, right? The same thought process as Jesus, the mind of Christ. To let the mind of Christ and the will of God flow in your life. Let it control your mind. Let it control your heart. Let everything you do be guided by the mind and the attitude of Jesus. Right? How do you do that? In the Word, right? We know the Word. you got to know the Word. We find that. We discover that in the Word of God. We read the Word of God. We learn who Jesus is. And then we can begin to live like Jesus lived with the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. You can't do it with the Word. So you have to put the Word in your life. You have to want first of all, to put the Word of God in your life. There's got to be a willingness on your part, in your heart, to have God's Word penetrate your heart and your mind. you got to want to do it, right? That's step number one. So he says, arm yourselves. And what does it mean to arm yourself? Well, it's this battle stance, right? It's this, like this, in your mind and in your spirit and in your heart, you take on this posture of of a battle. Like you're in a battle and you're arming yourself with God. You are arming yourself with, the, with the, the power of God and the armor of God in your life. Your posture is not of worldly living, but your posture becomes of godliness. That I'm going to live like God. I'm going to live out what he called me to do. His will. I'm going to put that on and I'm going to take off everything else that is contrary to that, right? He says, you arm yourself with Christ's attitude. And so how we begin to think about how do, we, how do I do that? It's easy to say, arm yourself. And we all think, yep, yep, we need to arm ourselves. And we all walk out of here and we have no clue what that even means. So you, you, we need to think, what does that mean? What does that mean to us? What does that mean to you? Like, what does that mean to you right now? This very moment. What does it mean to you to arm yourself with the attitude of Christ? How are you not arming yourself with the attitude of Christ? How have you allowed the enemy, the devil, to sneak in and disarm you of Christ? And how are you going to reverse that? How are you going to go about that in your own life as you live? You know why? Because the end of all things is near. And you don't have time to mess around. You know what I'm saying? There's no time to play church or play God or play Christian or play anything. Either get serious with him or don't. Yeah. Right? Either get all in with God or don't. Here's the outcome. The outcome of arming ourselves with the attitude of Christ is this, is that we would be done with sin. Look what the passage says. Look what he says there. Since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is what? is done with sin. That's the goal, is that you become a conqueror of the sin that attacks you. That you don't give into it anymore. Now, you don't give into worldliness. 
that you don't give in to the temptations of this world and all the darkness that we talked about last week that's attacking you from the outside and from the inside. You don't give in to that. You conquer that. That's the outcome, to be done with sin. He says because whoever suffers in the body or the flesh is done with sin. Once you've conquered it, you are done with sin. And that's the goal of this arming ourselves with the attitude of Christ, is that, that in his power we conquer the sin that is trying to entangle you. It's a battle for you to win. It's a battle to be won by you. With the power of God in your life. Jesus came, look at the verses there. Jesus came, Jesus was tempted, and he conquered sin, right? He conquered it. He conquered temptation. Sin took a shot at Jesus, and he, sin was defeated by Jesus. He conquered it. He defeated every act of the flesh that came up against him. And Peter goes on to say, don't live for the evil desires of this world. That's how you conquer it. The end is near. Stop living for sin and start living for God, right? Start conquering the things that are coming up against you because they're going to come and they're going to keep on coming. doesn't matter how old you are, they're going to come. The sin or the tempter took the same sin or the same type of temptation that took down Adam and Eve is at you, is coming against you as well. And it came against Jesus. And what he calls us to do here is battle against it. He says, you arm yourself with the attitude of Christ. You put on Christ, right? We have a responsibility to engage in the battle. He says, don't live for the evil desires. And look what he says in verse 3. He calls it pagan living, right? Pagan living. Look at the verse, verse 3. It says, you've spent enough time. You have wasted enough of your life doing what the pagans do, doing what the Gentiles do or the heathen. He said, you're a believer. You've given your life to Christ. You have surrendered to him. Don't waste your moments doing what you used to do. Wow, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? And why? Because the end is near. Don't play around. Don't play around with this sin stuff. Don't get hung up in it. Don't get stuck with past living, coming back to lure you in again. Right? Because we have tasted and we know that the Lord is good. Right? And compared to what we left, what we left is nothing compared to what we now have. So why would we ever leave all of the promises of God that we now have and go back and eat that. Like, why would we even think of doing that? Why would we want to do that? Why would anyone do that? Look what he says. He calls out six different sins that the pagans do that he calls us to stay away from. He says debauchery, right? That's this unbridled conduct, this, this wild living. It's like this, this, uh, this immodest living, right? That the world is getting sucked into, right? That we just bear all, we show all, we hang out all, and it's just disgusting that what the world is becoming, right? This impurity and this lewdness. It's extreme indulgence. That's what this word means. The prodigal son wanted his inheritance so he can go and do this. That's what he wanted. And he says lust, right? This is this unnatural desire for sex and adultery and incest and anything that has to do with that that is outside of God's will between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, 
anything outside of that is this, lust. It's a sin, and that's what God calls it. He says drunkenness. This is about excessive drinking, excessive wine. This is about indulging or becoming inflamed with alcohol. And we know in the Bible times, alcohol was used in a totally different way than it is today. Totally different. There were those who got drunk with alcohol, and that is true, and that was wrong, and that was sin. But alcohol played a big part. It's like going to Mexico or going to one of these countries. You have to have a little alcohol in there. Better kill some germs. Right? You're going to need a little. Paul told Timothy to take a little for a reason, right? Because his stomach issue, right, and because of the bacteria. And so, so we understand there's a difference there. But, but he's saying don't become drunk. And, and that's the, the age-old question, right, for all the young people in the room today. Like, like, can a Christian drink? Good question, right? Some will side on the side of no, don't touch the stuff. It's evil. Some will uh, go to the other side and say, yeah, you can drink all you want. Right? Can a Christian drink? That's a good question, isn't it? I'm going to attempt to uh, give you my two cents. Can a Christian drink? The answer is yes, but carefully, okay? God doesn't say you can't drink. He does say don't become drunk. So the question really is, isn't can you drink? The question is, how much gets you drunk? How much drink, (laughs) alcoholic drink, before your mind gets altered and you aren't judging correctly? How long? Now, maybe that's one drink for you. Maybe it's three. I don't know. But it will get you drunk eventually. And the problem with alcohol, and we all know this, is that it kills people. There is nothing good about alcohol. There is nothing that it will do for you that is going to make you godly. It is going to tear you down. So can you drink? Yes. But why why do you need that when you're drunk in the Spirit of God? When you are, when you're like worshiping God 24-7 in your life, you are as high as you're ever going to get. Why do you need anything else? So I say don't drink because it's not, it's, it's going to bring you down. It isn't going to bring you up. It's not going to help you at all. It's going to rob life. It's going to break up families. It's going to kill kids. It's going to kill people on the road. It's going to do more damage than good. Why would you ever want to touch it? I say avoid it. That's what I say. Avoid it because it leads down the road of no good, (laughs) right? And if you drink one drink, your kids are going to be drinking a six-pack, okay? Because your kids will always outdo you, right? Whatever you do, they're going to take it to another level. So I would be very careful what you do with drinking. Can you drink? Sure. But you better not get drunk because then you've crossed this line. And why play with that? It's like playing with fire. It's not, ne- it's, not, it's not necessary. Orgies, he says, orgies. These are pagan. These are pagan things like revelings, right? Wild celebrations, letting loose, right? The works of the flesh, that's what that is. Carousing, that word means banqueting or partying or drinking, going to these parties and binge parties, right? Getting wild and crazy and not in a godly way. Like we can get wild and crazy if you're doing it for God. Go for it. But if you're doing it for yourself or the flesh or because of alcohol or any other reason, you have sinned. You've crossed the line and you're living like the pagans, the Gentiles, the heathen. Peter's saying, don't do that. Stay away from that. Go the other way. Don't go that way. Detestable idolatry. This is the worship of idols, statues, angels, things that were made by human beings. The worship of stuff rather than the creator himself. So he says, stay away from those six sins, right? Evil, he calls them evil human desires. And he also labels them as this, reckless and wild living. Look at the verse. See, there's God's will 
And then there's this evil, worldly, pagan, Gentile living. And you decide where you're going to be, but you keep this in mind, the end is near. You choose. Did you notice the word choose in the text? They choose to live this way. And you get to choose too. You get to choose if you're going to live for God or you're going to live for the world. You're going to live for the flesh. You're going to live like pagans live. Right? And this is also here, uh, verse 5, Peter gets into why the gospel was preached to those who are dead. Remember in chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, uh, Jesus went and preached while he was dead, and not a lot of scripture about that. But Peter gets a little insight to what he said in chapter 3 when he talks about the fact that he went and he uh, spoke to them and shed light on them. When he says, but they will give an account to the one who is ready to judge the living and dead, for this is the reason that the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human, not judged according to human standards, uh, in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. And so Peter sheds a little light on what he was talking about earlier. But he goes back to these people, these pagans and these worldly people who are surprised that you don't join them. See, because when you're a Christian, you're a believer. You don't like, we're not judging people. We're simply saying, I'm living for God. And I'm going to live and do things that honor God. That's what I want to do. I'm not judging you if you don't want to honor God. That's totally up to you. We all will stand before God. The end is near. And I'm going to honor God in the way I live. And people will be surprised that you don't join them. Have you ever, like, felt that or seen that? Like, if you grew up in a town and you walked away from that living your friends are probably trying to drag you back in it. They're shocked that you're not indulging with them, right? See, either they're going to be surprised that you don't join them, or God is going to be surprised that you do. Because if you call yourself a believer, you better not. Or don't call yourself a believer. Right? Fair enough? If you're going to do what the world is doing in the pagan world, don't call yourself a believer and jump into the sin. Don't do it. Sin. These are six sins that Peter points out real quick. And, and what is sin really? What is sin? What is sin? What is sin? Separation from God? Missing the mark? Disobedience? Right, it's rebellion, right? It's rebellion. It's saying, God, I know what you say, but I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do what I want. Shaking your fist at God. That's what sin is. Saying, God, I know you're the creator of the universe and you know everything. You got all pop. I'm going to do it. I'm like, what are you? How foolish. How foolish are we to even think to do anything like that? And yet that's what we do when we sin, when we indulge ourselves in the worldly ways of this world. It's rebellion. It's unholy living. And Peter is saying to you and to me, you stay as far away from it as you can. Don't see how close you can get to it. See, that's, that's the problem in our generation is we want to be called Christians and we want to say we're followers of Christ, but we want to snuggle up as close as we can to sin and enjoy all of those things and still claim that we're saved by God. That's not a good way to live, is it? And then you, that's a mixed message that we're sending to the world and to, we're sending to our kids and everyone else. This casual Christian's 
Casual Christianity will result in uh, ca becoming casualties, right? And the point that Peter's trying to make here is this. You know Jesus. You seek Jesus. You worship Jesus. And then you go into the world and you shine for Jesus. You go represent Jesus in the world. Right? That's what you do. Why? Because the end is near for you and for everyone. They don't know this. You do. We do. The end is near. God promised the end is near. So you don't live for the evil human desires, but for the will of God. And he says, I love these words that he says in there. He says in verse 2, he says, you live out your remaining time. Get, just think of that. Your remaining time. I don't know how many ticks you got left. You know, maybe a few years. Maybe, <laughs> not, definitely not as many as you had when you started this thing, <laughs> right? So, so your ticks are less. I don't know how many you got, but he says you live out your remaining ticks for the will of God. Oh, isn't that good? That's just powerful. Peter, you're crazy, man. He's crazy. Stand in the power of Christ. He says, arm yourself. Arm yourself with the attitude of Christ. Verse 7, we're going to get to verse 7, then we're going to stop right there. He says, the end is near. That's all we're going to go, right there. The end is near. Let's see it. The end is near. There it is. The end is there. He actually says, the end of all things. The end of what? All things. See, a lot of times I think we think that, okay, you know, Jesus came and it changed things, but pretty much life went on kind of like it did. This is not that. God promised that Jesus would come, the Messiah would come, and he came and things were different. But this is different than that. This is the end of all things. The birds, the trees, the air you breathe, travel, your family, your kids, your marriage, your job, everything as you know it, the end of all things. There is a, a, a huge intensity in this, that the end of everything that you know, everything about the creation, everything that we live and take for granted on a daily basis, the end of it all is so very close, the end of all things. In Genesis 6.13, God said, the end of all flesh has come up before me, remember? And God sent a flood and he wiped it out. He didn't play around. See, when God says the end is coming, it's coming. You can bank on it. Jesus said the hour has come, right? And guess what? It did. It came. And he hung on a cross for you. In 1 John 2.18, the scripture said, John said, Children, it is the last hour. Whoever does the will of God will last forever. And he wasn't joking. It's true. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Check this passage out. It says this, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors. Through the prophets, in the past, through the prophets, and many times, various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Right? The end of all things is near. Note this, verse 2 right there. Next slide, look at it. Circled for you. But in these what? Last days. See, Jesus is the one we look to because he is God, right? Even in Jesus, even in this, this passage about who Jesus is, the writer says, in these last days. Why? Because the end is near. And this was written a long time ago, but the end is 
so near. When Jesus said, repent, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, right? He was talking about the fact that the Messiah has come. The Messiah is here. The, the kingdom of God is near. This is similar to that thought when he says, the end of all things is near. It is at hand. And just like Jesus came because the scriptures predicted it and the prophets told about it, and it happened in the very same way when Jesus says, or when God says, or when the Hebrew writer says, or when Peter says, the end is at hand, it is very close. It is. It is. It is. It's very close. And so we ask ourselves, what does this mean to us, right? If the end is near, if the end is right around the corner and it could be closer than you think, how then do we live? How should we live? Because we better get busy doing that, right? Whatever the answer to that question is for you, how should I live knowing that the end is near? We need to get busy doing that, right? We need to get busy. Uh, he's going to give us in the next few verses that we're going to get to next week, he's going to give us four other ways to prepare ourselves because the end is near. And if he doesn't come between now and next Sunday, we'll get to those. You might want to read ahead early, you know, because I might not get to this. Uh, that'd be okay with me, right? Amen. Okay with you? Is it okay if Jesus comes? I'm all right. I'm good. But today he gave us the number one. The number one thing is this. Here's where you start. You arm yourself with the same attitude that Jesus had. You just live Christ, right? You live Christ. And how do you do that? I want you to do something for me, if you would. Take your little um, bulletin and a pen. And on the back, there's a spot there for you to write some stuff. And so I, I, as, as David just plays in the background, write down, write down what that means to you. The end is near. How then are we going to live our life? How, what, what does that mean for you? The end is near. Or maybe write that at the top. The end is near. How then am I going to live? And, I, and I'm, I'm going to ask you, we're going to take a few minutes just for you to just write something down. Just think, what do I need to do? What do I need to do knowing that the end is, is near? What am I going to do different? How can I honor God? How can I live for him? The end of all things is near. It could be as simple as just have a desire to know him more. You know, it could be as simple as just God created me a heart that loves you more than anything in the world. Maybe it's an action. Maybe there's something you need to just say, look, I need to crucify this in my life. It has got to go, whatever that is. It's going to be different for all of us. It's going to be different for every one of us. But I can tell you this with, with absolute surety, the end is near. The end is near. Don't doubt that. I didn't say that. God said that. And, and so far, God has been 100% on everything he has ever said everything. All his promises are true. Everything he says will happen. It will happen in his time. And it's coming soon. It's coming sooner than you think. 
The end is near. What are you going to do knowing that the end is near? Maybe there's people, there's names of people in your mind right now that God is bringing to your heart that you write their names down and you know you need to go talk to them because the end is near and they're not ready. Oh, there's lots of things you could write on this card. This card isn't big enough. But you pick out one or two things that you know, I, I need to do this and I need to do this now. There's an urgency in this. That when he said the end of all things is near, he wasn't joking around. In God's timing, it's going to come. And I know we, we think in our minds that it's going to come, but sometime maybe next week or the week after, down the road, when I, you know, whatever, maybe not in my lifetime, but you don't know that. You do not know that. So we're going to live our lives every day like today's the last one. Like today, he may come tomorrow. And this is it. This is all I got. This last day is all I've got. What do you need to do?